Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 and verse 25 is where we'll be going to today. We're continuing our series of messages on questions in the Bible. And today we actually have about five or six questions that come in our text, all dealing with one subject, which is very evident from the slide in front of you. Don't worry. (laughs) I had no idea in preparing the sermon this week that Israel would be attacked. No idea of some of the other things going on in our country and around the world that people will worry about and be concerned about. So I think our text today will certainly have some good things to say to us. Back in 1993, the Goodby Silverstein and Partners Advertising Agency came up with an ad campaign for the California Milk Processor Board. It was later licensed um, for use by milk processors and dairy farmers. The ads became very popular, and to this day you can still find the ads from time to time. They're in magazines, you can see them on TV from time to time, or on billboards and buses, but they depict various men and women, some famous, some not, who have obviously just taken a big gulp of milk and are sporting those white mustaches. And at the bottom of the picture is the two-word question, got milk? Got milk, now the slides you see in front of you If you're a Cardinal fan, you'll recognize the one on the left. That's Mark McGuire, because he was a part of that campaign way back in 98. And, of course, everybody knows Kermit, all right? But as I look out upon you all this morning, you obviously are not sporting white milk mustaches while you sit there. But I wonder that perhaps maybe you've taken a big gulp of life lately, And maybe you can answer the question, or the more appropriate question might be, got worry? Got worry? Worry is a part of life. It affects us all, from a child to the parent, from the executive to the homemaker, from the college student to the retiree. It can seep into every fiber of our being, permeate all of our relationships. It can steal all of our personal joy. And so again, got worry? Do the following statements resonate with you? Now the Dow Jones is down again. Or, these kids are driving me crazy. I'm a school bus driver. (laughs) I can't take one more day at this job. What do you mean I'm overdrawn? Please, just give me a little more time. Are you dealing with something or trying to process something or fix something or control something? And is that something just dominating your mind these days? What is it that's causing you to toss and turn all night, worry and fuss all day and eat massive quantities of tum-to-tum-tum-tums? What is it? Proverbs 12.25 says, says, an anxious An anxious heart weighs a man down. Isn't that true? 
I mean, sometimes does it just feel like there's an elephant sitting on your chest because of what you're worrying about? And yet into all of that, Jesus speaks to us here in Matthew chapter 6. And he tells us it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to feel that way. I want to read to you the text today from a version that I hardly ever use, but I, I just think it, it makes it clear what Jesus is saying from the New Living Translation, the NLT. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now, the answer is, of course not. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So four or five times in that text, Jesus says, he says, I tell you not to worry. He says, so don't worry. So don't worry. And why worry? I mean, all over that. Jesus tells us not to worry. What is worry? <laughs> I don't know the old farmer's name, but there's an old farmer that gives one of the best definitions I've ever heard. He says, worry is getting all worked up over a bunch of stuff you ain't got no control over no how. I, I mean, uh, perhaps a bit grammatically challenged, but I think he's right on the money, right on target. And, and there are several things that I've learned about getting all worked up with worry. The first is this, worry is unproductive. It is unproductive. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Well, of course not. In fact, just the opposite is true. So Jesus and the old farmer are right. Ain't no use getting all worked up. There is nothing productive about worry. It does not make your relationships better. It doesn't make your finances better. It doesn't make your job any better. It doesn't make you any better. It doesn't make you smile better. It doesn't increase your contentment level. It does not make you more fun to be around. And you know what? It doesn't keep that something that you're worried about happening from happening. It doesn't. Now, being prayerfully concerned about something and worrying about it are two different things. Worry is all about me. Me trying to fix something 
or control something or solve something or, or manipulate something. But prayerful concern is recognizing that there is only one that sees the bigger picture. There's only one who's on the throne. There's only one who's in control of all things. There's only one that is sovereign in my life. And that's the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew a lot about worry and anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of people in the Bible that dealt with pressure. But Paul, I think, just took it to a different level, had to deal with it on a different level. Listen to Paul's account of suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul says this. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Add that up. Five times he was whipped. Three times beaten with rods makes eight. He was stoned makes nine. And three times shipwrecked. Twelve times that his life was up for grabs. He says, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Anybody here that can testify to that? I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure, my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I do not feel weak? Who's led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Now, how does your worry-filled life stack up against his? And all that he went through. And the day came later in his life, as he's nearing the end of his life, when he's sitting in a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard, and he's writing letters to the people that, that he knows and to the churches that he has helped to establish. And he's writing to the church at Philippi while in prison, and in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. After everything he's been through, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul could be at peace, even chained to a guard, knowing that his life was nearing an end. But he was at peace because of his relationship with the Lord. He just turned things over to Jesus. And so he says, don't be anxious about anything. And Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat or drink or wear or anything like that. 
I think it sounds like Jesus and Paul were on the same page. What about you? Both encountered enormous worrying situations. That's life. And yet both knew just how unproductive internalizing worry and anxiety can be. The word anxious means to be pulled in different directions. That sure describes my life. <laughs> A popular toy came out in 1976 by Kenner, as you see on the screen. A guy named Stretch Armstrong. How many of you remember that? Okay, yeah. It was, it was popular. He was kind of like Gumby on steroids. Okay? You could just stretch him all kinds of different ways. And I think a lot of us feel like old Stretch there, okay? We may look strong and cool and calm and tanned and relaxed, but really we're being stretched and pulled apart a hundred different directions. We are pulled in one direction by our priorities, another direction by our pressures, another direction by our schedules, another direction by our dreams, maybe another direction by our families. And man, when we get pulled in all those directions and we feel that stress, I'm telling you, worry is unproductive. Nothing good comes from worry. Worry is also unhealthy. There's a saying that says, it's not so much what you eat that kills you, but it's what eats you. So what's eating you today? What is it? Worry will literally eat you alive. Acid reflux, chest pains, mental meltdowns, ulcers, sleep disorders, high blood pressure, all produced by worry. And worry has reached epidemic proportions here in this culture that we live in today. The U.S. Center for Disease Control estimates that half of the deaths in our country between the ages of 1 and 65 are due to our worrying lifestyles. We Americans consume nearly a billion dollars per year of anti-anxiety pills. Worry, anxiety, panic attacks, they drain us mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually. Worry is unhealthy. Worry is also unnecessary. Jesus says, look at the birds. Check out the lilies of the field. Doesn't God take care of them? The answer is... Yeah, he does. We're talking about feathers and flowers. And yet you are much more valuable than they are. You've probably heard this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well, I guess that it must be that they have no heavenly father such that cares for you and me. Well, yes, we do. But worry is so unnecessary. And Jesus gives us three illustrations here showing that worry is unnecessary. And the first is from zoology. Look at the birds. Birds require a great deal of care. Their hearts beat many times faster than ours. And have you ever heard someone say, well, well she eats like a bird? What do they mean? What do they mean? She doesn't eat much. Well, let me tell you, to eat like a bird is not a compliment. 
Because most birds eat twice their weight in food every two days. I, I said that wrong. They eat their weight in food every two days, not twice their weight. But still, okay? And so it takes a great deal of care to take care of birds. Who takes care of them? God does. Are you worth more to God than birds? Yes. So don't worry, God will take care of you. And then he gives us an illustration from physiology. And depending on what version of the Bible you read, it's either going to deal with your stature, your height, or with the length of your life. But the, but the thought is, can you add an inch to your height by worrying? Can you grow taller by worrying? No. <laughs> if you could, we'd probably have a lot of seven, eight foot people walking around. Okay? Can you add length to your life by worrying? No. In fact, just the opposite is true. Worrying can cause you to die more quickly. There are some things out of your control. Your height and the day you die, that's in God's hands. He knows what's best. And then Jesus gives us this illustration from botany. Lilies, they're beautiful. Who clothes them with beauty? God does. What happens to the grass of the field at this time of year? Turn it brown because it... It dies. What's going to happen next March and April? It's going to grow. You better believe it. It's going to turn green and we're going to get our lawnmowers tuned up and ready to mow it again next year. All right. Who brings it back to life? God does. Are we more valuable to God than lilies? Yes. Are we more valuable to God than grass? Yes. If he clothes lilies with beauty and you're more valuable than, than the lilies, will he clothe you? Yes. And if he brings grass back to life after it dies and you're more valuable to God than grass, will he bring you back to life after you die? Yes. So why worry? Worry is so unnecessary. And worry is unspiritual as well. Verse 31 and 32, verse 32 especially, the pagans run after all these things, he says. Don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? In other words, he's saying, why would you live your life like there's no God? That's what the pagans do. That's what unbelievers do. That's how they act, chasing this, chasing that. Worry takes God off of his throne and substitutes other gods. And those other gods are not worthy of your worship and service. So can you add a single moment to your life by worrying? No. Can it enhance your health? No. Do you or do you not matter to your father? Yes, you do. So you see, worry is this unproductive, unhealthy, unnecessary, unspiritual way of getting all worked up over a bunch of stuff that you ain't got no control over know-how. So what should we do? Let God be God. Let God be God. 
when Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, he was not only giving us a prescription for worry, he was giving us the one essential for life, to live in God's hands, to live in his care. I read about two single adults that decided to go on a creative date that would top all creative dates. A romantic dinner? Nope, that was old school. A movie? Nope, dark and boring. Bowling? Miniature golf? Laser tag? Not even close. These two people, Stephen Trotter and Lori Martin, decided to have an extreme games kind of date together. So what did they do? Well, they spent $25,000. I said the date was creative, not cheap. Okay. They built a 10-foot-long, 6-foot diameter capsule out of two hot water tanks whose steel interior was wrapped with fiberglass and Kevlar, covered with styrofoam and equipped with air tanks that had to give them oxygen for an hour to 90 minutes. Why? Because this couple wanted to be the first man and woman team to ever go over Niagara Falls together inside a barrel. You talk about some bonding time. <laughs> I think you'd pretty much figure out right there whether you were meant for each other or not. Now only a dozen or so people that we know of have ever gone over Niagara Falls and lived to tell about it. But no man and woman ever did it together before. By the way, if you Google Stephen Trotter, uh, you'll find out all about his daredevil kind of life. It was something. But whatever possessed them, they built this barrel, took their lives in the hands, and they got inside on July the 18th of 1995. And as I read their story, I, th I began thinking, okay, so they get inside the barrel, which weighed about 900 pounds or more. How do you get the thing in the water? You get inside and try to rock back and forth somehow and hope it starts rolling down into the river or what? And, and how do you get past the police? Because it's patrolled pretty good up there, and there are some steep fines for the stunts that people try to pull up there by Niagara Falls. So how are they going to get it into the water? Well, Trotter's brother, Dan, and five friends pushed the capsule into the water about 100 yards from the falls on the Canadian side of the river. About 15 seconds later, they had safely drip drifted into the crevice of some rocks below Scenic Tunnel, which is a popular tourist attraction. The emergency personnel and law enforcement officers were not amused because that crevice where the capsule came to rest at was in a very precipitous place and made for a very dangerous rescue and put their lives in danger as well. But nevertheless, they were rescued. But what really grabbed my attention in that story were three words. Fifteen seconds later, And what I love about that picture is that there was a place where this man and woman let go of everything. They totally yielded their lives to the flow and the current of that mighty river. And for 15 seconds, their lives were completely out of their hands. And I began to think, isn't that the way Christians should live? Not, 
not in some irresponsible going over Niagara Falls kind of way, but totally and radically surrendered to God? Shouldn't our lives be completely out of our hands and in His hands? I want to be able to say, God, I really trust you for everything. I want to throw my life into your river. I want to get off the shore, step off the bank, jump off the dock, say, and just say my life is in your hands. And wherever the flow of your river, wherever it takes me, that's where I want to go. And I've got a long way to go to, to get there in some areas of my life. I confess that. You probably do too. God's still working on me. But there are some areas that I think I've seen some improvement in my life. I can see how he's been leading me to, to trust him and to walk away from worry. I don't really run after stuff anymore. I can be happy with very little. I, I don't uh, chase the approval of others maybe like I once did. I don't worry about little things nearly as often. I've tried to reduce the noise in my life. I watch very little television. What TV or what I do watch on a television set are probably reruns from the 60s or maybe the 50s. <laughs> and I seldom watch the news. I didn't know until I heard someone say that Israel had been attacked this week. All right. I. I don't need a news reporter telling me what, what I can see with my own eyes about our own country. And I especially don't need to hear their slant on things. Where's the Walter Cronkites of our day that just used to report the news? You know? I'm learning to be still and know that he is God and that I'm not. As I've grown older, I've learned to say no to some good things. And yet, good things that could so fill my schedule that I couldn't grow spiritually. And the end result has been that the transcendent, unexplainable peace of God has been guarding my heart and my mind, just like Paul said it would. And we need to learn to let God be God. We're not. He is. Totally surrender yourself to him. That'll take care of your worry problems. We need to learn what's important. God's kingdom. Seeking it as top priority. And not only seek first the kingdom of God, but also seek first his righteousness. The word and connects those two. They go hand in hand. Right living. Living the way God wants you to. Following his directions as contained in this book. That'll help take care of worry problems. Who was it that first said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing? And the main thing is God's kingdom and his righteousness. And if that's your pursuit, God's going to take care of everything else. So why worry? Psalm 55, 22, the psalmist writes, Cast all your burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says to cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. 
Well, I'm through preaching. But what do you do with a message like this? Say, yep, that's what I know I need to do. But I'm probably going to go ahead and worry anyway. We all do, don't we? How do we draw that fine line between careful, prayerful concern, what's worry and what's not worry? You let God be God. And you turn those concerns over to Him. Is God in control? Then why do we worry? And one of the big reasons is because we begin to focus more on the circumstances than we do on the one who's in control of the circumstances. We've got to live with an eternal perspective. We've got to set our hearts and our minds and our vision on Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Read the third chapter of Colossians. And that's what we're told to do. If you have a decision you want to make today, a public decision, you can meet me down front as we stand and sing. If you have private decisions to make, make them right where you stand. If you need people to pray with you, there will be people that would gather around and pray with you as well. But it's decision time, so let's stand and let's pray.